Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to episode 10 of the Wisdom Cricket Weekly Podcast. It's the second of our two end-of-year specials. We'll be going over our respective teams of the year, but before we do that, we'll talk about a very fiery last couple of days in the Perth Test match and the small matter of an IPL auction. I'm Yaz Rana and with me we've got the magazine editor of Wisdom Cricket Monthly, Joe Harmon. new issue of that is coming out soon. And for the first time, Dan Norcross of Test Match Special Fame. A warm welcome Dan, um, before we start, a few people on Twitter wanted to ask you some questions. Oh, yes. So, first off, from Arthur Shear. On a scale of Sean Mars to Viv Richards, how do you rate Johnny Bairstow's chances of being a test match number three? That's beautifully beautifully put put there. I think that's quite harsh on Marsh. He's got a test hundred there. It is harsh on Marsh. I mean, I can think of worse number threes. England have been using probably worse number threes for the last um, 25 years, Jonathan Trott notwithstanding. Um... I would like to think, actually, that Johnny Bairstow has a decent chance of becoming a David Gower of a number three, by which I mean David Gower was probably at his most fruitful at number four, um, and he gave chances. Johnny Bairstow will give chances because he's going to come out hard, I think. Um, he'll, He'll probably adapt his game slightly. He has done that in other formats. But I think he's got the raw talent to be able to be a number three, I think he's going to frustrate occasionally by going hard at the ball early and getting bold. He gets bold a lot. But I think he is England's best bet for number three. Uh, yeah, I'm going to say say David Gower with the caveat that, as I say, Gower's best position is four, but I think it's a pretty worthy place. He's a wor- it's a worthy mantle to hold, isn't it, the David Gower of number three? Absolutely. Absolutely. High praise. A higher praise than most people are giving him and a better chance. Um, I think he'll do well in the West Indies. Um, but I think I do worry about Bairstow batting three against that Australian attack in English yes. conditions. Do you not worry about any human being on the planet batting <laughs> at number three in English conditions against Cummins, Stark, Hazelwood, possibly Pattinson? Fair point. Um, let's move on to your second question from Owen. He asks, if you were to have a dream about someone in cricket having a sex change, who would it be? Ah, now the, the reason for this is because yesterday I put out on Twitter... Uh, following the appointment of Ole Gunnar Solskjaer as Manchester United's caretaker manager until the end of the season. An extraordinary dream I had. And this is no word of a lie. This dream actually happened. It was followed up by another dream I'll tell you very briefly about after it. But I woke up one morning and as luck would have it, it was the 1st of April. It wasn't designed this way. What year? 2000. Year 2000. And I was uh, sleeping next to my now wife, Catherine, who is a West Ham fan. And I'd had this very vivid dream, and, I'm, and I said, Catherine, you'll never guess, I just had this dream in which West Ham took the lead at Old Trafford this afternoon. They were playing that day. They were going to play later that day. And uh, then United equalised through Scholes. Then Beckham got the fourth. And then Oli Gunnar Solskjaer got the seventh, and United won 7-1. And this was at about seven in the morning, and she's not an early bird, isn't um, my Catherine? So she punched me and <laughs> rolled back to sleep um, with something along the lines of, why would you Why would you wake me up and tell me that? Uh, which is a fair point on reflection, isn't it, really? Anyway, later that day, I was out buying a pair of glasses and uh, then we had to go into a shop, the sort of shop which Catherine would go into and spend an awful long time in not buying clothes. And I just desperately wanted to know the football scores and being the year 2000, it wasn't easy to get hold of them, you know, internet access wasn't great, I didn't sure. have a smartphone, all that kind of stuff. Sure. So I rang a friend of mine who was a Manchester United fan and said, you know, what's, what's going on at Old Trafford? He says, well, uh, United have just got their seventh. I said, did West Ham score first? He goes, yes. <laughs> did Skulls equalise? I said, yes. Beckham got the fourth? He said, oh, the sixth. I said, mm. And um, Solskjaer, the seventh? Yes. Has he turned into a woman? <laughs> I said, what are you talking about? And I remembered that the dream was very, very clear that Solskjaer scrambled one in and then turned to the crowd with these lovely long eyelashes and rather pert lips. And he looked, he'd become a woman. 
Um, so, by the way, if you fancy getting odds on that, I would highly recommend <laughs> it because it's, it's going to happen and a bookie's going to give you about 66,000 to one. But answer the question um, if it was a cricketer. So, it was a cricketer. Um, well, that's a tricky one. I think Ian Bell is the most girlish I can think of. Yeah, I'd say that. Do you know, yeah, stylish, flowing, lovely, slightly wet eyes. Quite softly um, spoken. Softly spoken, lovely round face, good features. Um I mean, I'm not for one minute suggesting women are gentle. I mean, if you've followed the England women's team around, Catherine Brunt is not a gentle person, <laughs> and all the better for it. But there's something kind of girlish about Bell, and he's also uh, the subject of one of my favourite lines ever by Jared Kimber, who said that if he was a billionaire, he would buy Ian Bell and make him play a cover drive lubed up naked in a birdcage <laughs> and um and and i think because of my sexual orientation were uh, ian bell to do that and have had a sex change it would be that much more aesthetically pleasing to me that there would... we go emphatically answers <laughs> <laughs> okay moving swiftly on yeah dan what's your moment of the week well my moment of the week is probably a very many people's moment of the week it was tim payne Tim Payne's sledge, not sledge. To, it was definitely a sledge. Yeah. Well, he was, to Murali Vijay. The, the, the exact words were, can you remind me the exact words? He may be your captain, but you can't seriously like him as a bloke. Yeah. Now, genius in one way. Love it. Brilliant. So dissent. Like it. Um, also know that you can get away with it because there's no swearing. Um, get under the skin of someone. Also somebody whose place is in jeopardy as well. I mean, it was psychologically terrific. All of that worked for me. But the, the thing that I think I liked most about it was that, again, we found ourselves plunging into questions of good blokedom mm. and what is and isn't sledging. Now, what's the line? I love when people talk what's about the line? line. What's the line? Um, and it sort of, I mean, it, it, at the same time, it infuriates me and tickles me because when I was growing up, we didn't really have stump microphones. And we didn't really think about players as good blokes or not good blokes. We essentially cared only about their performance on the field and how we were going to beat, we, England, were going to beat the opponents. And this sort of notion that now, partly because of social media, we have to know so much about the individual players. And the assumption always was that they were sort of aloof, arrogant, slightly difficult people to deal with. Nowadays, they've apparently got to be good blokes or not good blokes, uh, which is... Uh, tortuous in one way, but fascinating in another, that now somebody's good bloke-dom or not is is almost as important as whether they can play a cover drive. Well, New Zealand were big on this, weren't they? Brendan McCullum had his no-dickhead policy, which was then lauded and attached almost to the style of play, which is ridiculous, really. It but... is. Well, you need a dickhead. <laughs> I mean, in, in all honesty, anybody who's played club cricket, and I'm assuming we all have, knows that the strength of a team, you're only as strong as your biggest dickhead. And whoever it is you've got in that side, look at, you know, one might argue England have had one until relatively recently. Sure. Um, and actually very strong for it because you can all coalesce behind the dickhead. If everybody's a nice guy, then you've got nowhere to go when things go wrong. So, do you know, I mean, I think Kohli is doing a magnificent job for India because he's taking on that sort of dickheadery. Mm. and using it as a leadership quality. But it's it's so unnecessary, though. Kohli is so good. He scores so many runs, um, and he's got a massive ego. And I, what I liked about mm. Payne was that by calling uh, Kohli out on it, it wasn't just in that sledge. It was earlier in that day when he was running for a single, and Kohli was basically posing by the non-striker's end, and Payne runs into him, and he kind of stands up, postures, puffs his chest out, and Payne was having none of it. Yeah. And that was really good because no one really calls Coley out. And uh, is, is, But do you think he cares? He doesn't care, does he? Do you think Coley care. cares that he's been called, called out by Payne on be, this? Because he always gets away with doing whatever he wants. Um, he knows when the camera's on him. And this is like one of the rare occasions somebody's actually said... But what's Coley actually doing? I, I mean, you say it's not necessary, but it, it probably, I, I think in some way it is necessary. Mm. That's how he gets himself up for a game. I think there's also one other thing to be born in mind, which is a semi-serious point. I don't like to make them too often, but there is a perception among Indian fans that their teams of yesteryear used to not win because they were too humble. Yeah. Now, I mean, I don't actually subscribe to that view. My view is that the best teams of 
cricketers win games and you don't have to be a posturing Burke to win. But if there is a sort of culture within your country of uh, being concerned about that, about bowing down, and we know that political culture in India has changed quite considerably in the last 10 years, and it has taken on a more aggressive form, and it's been quite deliberately wanting to, you know, stand up to imperialists, colonialists, and what have you, then actually Kohli probably feels, in a, oh, I say feels, but he's the embodiment of that. It sort of needs to do that in order to be the figurehead for India, doesn't he? He has to be aggressive. He has to stand up to white imperialist scumbags. And, but surely and the best that. way of doing that would be to win away from home. Rather yeah, well, than... he wants to do that too. Yeah. I mean, I don't think, I don't think by posturing, but I don't think by posturing you, you reduce your chances. Actually. It doesn't, it doesn't Not at all. Them. And I mean, well, you don't know how, it, it obviously adds something to his, to his batting, doesn't it? I mean, on the field is perhaps a different, you'd really have to ask his bowlers, is he getting the best out of mm. them? And their bowlers are bowling brilliantly. Yeah. Their problem yeah. is the rest of the batsmen aren't backing up Kohli. And so, their bowlers can't bat. Yeah, which is an issue. Well, is. If you look at like um, England this year, did had a really good year, and a lot of it was because of how how good number seven, eight, nine were with the bat. Absolutely. And the Indies are, all, are really awful at the moment. Yeah, um, but but how do you drop them at the same time? I mean, you're looking at it in a previous edition of Wisdom Cricket Monthly, an excellent edition, I should point thank out. Very much done. Uh, in which you looked at fast bowlers around the world, Mohammed Shami, um, Ishant Sharma. Umesh Yadav, Umesh all Kumar were all, all in there. there. I yeah. mean, when they're three of the top six, I think, by those metrics at any rate, yeah. or Indian, which is an yeah. unthinkable position. Now, I don't quite know how you drop them. I think what you might do, and we may come on to later, is make damn sure you play Ravindra Jadeja because mm. he provides you with a bit of ballast, as was shown here at the mm. Oval as we look out onto the glorious greensward. When he came in for the last test match, he showed what the balance of an Indian batting order could look like. Why they don't pick him, I don't know. But I'd say you can't drop those fast bowlers because they're incredibly effective. Yeah. I mean, not picking Shadeja seems very odd. And Kohli, I mean, I know he said it afterwards, he didn't regret not, be, not picking a spinner, but that, that can't be true. Well, yeah, Surely they always can't be they true. always say that. <clears throat> so it's like, it's like Kohli and every captain, this is one of the worst interviews you ever do in my job, is you know full well that when you go to the captain at the toss, they will always say that they would have done yeah, yeah. what's what's been in, done to them. You know, if they've yeah. been inserted, say, well, actually, we would have had it first. Yeah, like hell, would you? Yeah, I would have. I, I, I didn't want to play a spinner. Yeah, right. But it is interesting. India have made this, um, a succession of uh, interesting selections, uh, to put it mildly, this year. Uh, they dropped Rahane for two tests in South Africa when you think that the way he bats probably um, is conducive to doing well in South Africa. Uh, they didn't pick. Jadeja until the last test here when he was brilliant in the last test in England didn't pick Pujara um, in the first test yeah. over here um, which is extraordinary when you exactly. know, I know it had a bad run for Yorkshire but but still I mean and, and then also they played two spinners including Kuldeep Yadav on a very green pitch yes. at Lord. Um and here they've left out Jadeja uh, when Ashwin was injured and they didn't pick Bhuvaneshwar Kumar who uh, would give them a good option at number eight with a bat and they've basically gone in with four number 10s and 11s. And that is um, where I would question Cody's influence is perhaps getting too big because it's quite clear he picks the team. Yeah. Uh, and I wouldn't yes. have a problem with him having the final say but there needs to be more of a think tank. There needs to be more voices in there. So do you think that actually team. his average of 75 this year we should actually deduct about 25 runs from it because he keeps on picking the wrong side. That's exactly what I'm saying. <laughs> I like that little asterisk <laughs> next to his name. Okay. Um, one more thing on the, on the Australia win um joe you think mm. nathan lyon is potentially the best spinner in the world i do i think there's a strong argument for that i think um if you look at how spin bowlers have gone in australia over the last so, so since 2010 i've got the stats here somewhere i think since 2010 spinners in australia are averaging 48 uh lion averages 32 in australia since debuting in 2011 averages 25 since the start of the last ashes now those if you take that that's a ma- 25 to 48. Mm. That's an enormous jump. I mean, Bradman-esque. Exactly. Isn't it? I was going to say, if you're talking about yeah. as, a, as a batsman, it sounds ridiculous because we're talking about Nathan Lyon. Yeah. And that's yeah. the point I was trying to get across in my piece, really. And I've understandably got a bit of anger from Pakistani fans who are saying, well, look at what Yasser Shah's doing. And Indian fans are saying, well, Ashwin and Jadeja are above him in the rankings. But, well, Jadeja's not getting picked uh, in Australia. Uh, Ashwin hasn't got a good record in Australia, although he did bowl quite well in the first test. Yasser Shah had a horror show in Australia. 
Nathan Lyon's got a pretty good record in some continent, an excellent record in Australia, and has bowled beautifully in England. Probably his stats don't even reflect how well he's bowled. So I think there's a really, well, somehow really he's strong got, case. What, 334. He's got yeah. the Brabham. He's got 334 <laughs> Test wickets. I mean that that's and he'll amazing. catch Lily by the end of the Ashes. And he'll be so that's the third, third, third highest highest wicket taker for Australia, which is extraordinary. It's, it is extraordinary. And if you think, I mean, he's got at least another three, four years in him. At Poss- least, possibly at least. more. Really, possibly he doesn't more. play other formats. Really, there's and... no reason why he shouldn't get up to 500. Test wickets, and when you're at 500, you are a serious all-time bowler. Absolutely. And I think he's an interesting character as well because uh, you think of him as quite. I mean, the, the press conference before the Ashes is probably the, the outlier in this when he yeah. came out and said he'd end some careers. Um, I think that was all pre-rehearsed, clearly. But he is quite an interesting character because he's not particularly demonstrative. Yet we know he leads the Australian team song, uh, which is a huge thing in that in that dressing room. So I, I find him quite an, an interesting character that he's, on the one hand, quite unassuming, on the other hand, quite a leader for this team, particularly in the absence of, of Smith and Warner. Well, he leads with how he performs, doesn't he, for such yeah. a long time now. Um, he's as good as the bowling tack is. They're not the most experienced. Um, Stark's been around for a while, but Lyons, the, he's been the constant in the Australia team for a long time now, particularly in Smith and Warner's absence. Um, Joe, what's your moment of the week? So my moment of the week is the IPL auction uh, and more specifically Sam Curran getting picked up by Kings Eleven Punjab. So we, as Dan mentioned, we're at the Oval here. We, we're here every day. Uh, we eat lunch in the Surrey Canteen and I was waiting up, waiting, queuing for my for my lunch, debating whether I was going to have a chicken tagine or a baked potato. And, and next to me, Sam Curran debating or contemplating the possibility of being <laughs> of being a millionaire in half an hour's time. So that this was half an hour before he got picked up for £800,000 by Kings Eleven Punjab. The, the auction was going on the whilst he was queuing for on. lunch. And then he went to sit down for his lunch by himself. Uh, and he was frankly oh, checking he? his phone. Yeah. yeah, he was checking his phone. The TV in the canteen wasn't showing the auction. Um, and he could have gone... Um, if if, any, if you didn't watch the auction, the auction is pretty shambolic. Uh, it's very random. Yeah, um, it's yeah, it's really dull as well. And uh, they they have different brackets. They have like five overseas international rounders. They they're random. You don't know which five it's going to be. Then it's going to be the domestic bowlers. So he could have come out at any point. He didn't know when he's going to come out. And he was having lunch. Uh, five meters away from us. It was, and I was kind of I was like, <laughs> should I wish him luck? But it seemed quite a kind of a, a big life changing moment mm. that I shouldn't kind of. Uh, interfere with so I left him to it and he just sat there having his lunch seeing the, the money roll in Yeah, I mean, it's an extraordinary thing that he has been selected I think he's a terrific cricketer and will be around for many years to come but I've seen an awful lot of him and for, if it was my £800,000 I would have been spending that on Chris Wokes not Sam Curran not because I don't think Sam Curran's a brilliant cricketer who may well you know achieve more in the game than Chris Wokes but he's 20 years old and his bowling in T20 is handy, but he's got to have the new ball, really, mm. to, to be effective. Where's he going to bat in that side that he plays in? How significant is his batting, therefore, going to be? He's not, though. He's not a bad fielder. He's not the best fielder. So you think about someone like Wokes, who has played IPL before, knows the game inside out, is one of the, the most effective new ball bowlers in, albeit 50-over cricket, and that he wasn't picked up. And has done very well in the IPL. And has done well in the IPL. It's, it's absolutely starting. And I, I I don't, I want to absolutely hasten to add that I don't begrudge Sam at all what he's got. I think it's fantastic for him. Uh, it was kind of hilarious that his brother's face came up on the screen. <laughs> where just to rub it in. I'm just wondering, <laughs> is this a Peter Taylor, Mark Taylor moment back in 1987? Don't know. Uh, they got his but, age wrong as well. Um, well, that's even more for <laughs> they got the wrong current. But no, I think I think he'll... It'll be great for him. It'll be great for the development of his game. Uh, he's going to play in a fresh cooker atmosphere with, you know, very difficult circumstances. I think it's fantastic for him. He deserves it absolutely. The year he's had in international cricket means he deserves it. It just was a strange insight. I mean, I, they should have Curran and Wokes. It's not. Mm. I don't think it's an either or, but it's kind of weird, isn't it? The, the sort of economics and the thinking process within IPL but franchises. He's, he's hugely marketable, isn't he? He's the, he's the hot young thing in, in cricket, whatever the that's format true. in cricket. And I, I think that's probably... Availability as well. Not... He's there for the entire IPL, where yeah. a lot of the English players aren't. Because so they'll have to come been... back for the ODI team, I guess. Uh, well, the Caribbean yeah. tour, uh, the back end of the Caribbean tour, and the people more likely to be in the World Cup squad. Um, yeah. So I guess that played a part in it. The, the thing you mentioned briefly about where he's going to bat 
um, is a good question because the way he bats, I kind of think that he'd be best suited to bat in the power play. Um, I don't know what you think, Joe. Joe, you had a look at the other overseas players playing for Kings Eleven Punjab. Um, yeah, so it's Chris Gale, Andrew Tai, Mujibur Rahman, Moses Henricks, and uh, another couple who I thought were going to be more fringe players. So it seems like it's going to be kind of Henricks or or Curran was was how it looked to me. Yeah, but they've got Rahul and Gale who presumably bat up top. Yeah, um, so I think he's probably. He's probably a hitter and he'll bowl a couple of overs. Yeah, six, seven. Six, seven and, and maybe, yeah, a couple of the new I mean, balls. He could open, could open the bowling with that yeah. line-up. Yeah. That's because, you know, Ty, you might want to hold back. Yeah. Uh, for variations and death bowling. And actually, you know, Sam's variations this season have really come on. When I saw him at the start of the season, you forget how young he is because you've seen him for so many years, seen him for two or three years beforehand. And his slower balls, variations are different. He was getting balls to go away and come back in. That's only to be expected because he's developing and growing as a cricketer every year. So um, that I guess, you know, what we've got to do is hit the ceiling for someone like Sam Curran mm. is so high that every year is going to be just wonderful watching his development. And despite his age, he's actually quite experienced in T20s. Um, he's played 47 T20s, I think. And Joe Root, Age twenty eight, about to turn, uh, about to turn twenty eight. He's only played sixty one. A lot of that's because he plays so much for England. But Sam Ooh. Curran is isn't uh, is a, is a lot more experienced than a lot of other players. And, up and we too. know from what we've seen of him so far that he raises his game the bigger exactly. the occasion, exactly. and he'll, he'll love playing in the IPL. Yeah. But let me but let me just just throw a couple of other English names into the mix who had brilliant blasts: Pat Brown, Lewis Gregory. Neither, now, this is again, <laughs> this is about the economics of it. You could have picked up those players for fifty grand. Which is a sixteenth of a current. Yeah, and now, this is Lewis, why I think marketing has to be taken yeah, into I guess account it, here. It, it, but it must be, mustn't it? I mean, Lewis Gregory uh, hits it ex- miles. Oh, hits it miles, bowls. Yeah, I mean, he's a he's a terrific impact player. T twenty superb. He had a strike rate of over two hundred in the blast yeah, this year. Two hundred seventeen, I believe. Yep, yeah. incredible. And then Pat Brown, he's going to be dirt cheap, and he bowls extraordinary variations. I would have thought it's such a small punt. Yeah, to try. I really thought it'd someone get like that. This Again, time. I want to be. I want to stress for those of you who are now shouting the hatred at me. I'm not saying don't pick Sam Curran. I'm just saying if you can find eight hundred thousand pounds for Sam Curran, how come you can't find fifty grand for Lewis Gregory or or Pat Brown? Watching the auction, I thought the whole thing was a bit haphazard. Um, players being kind of randomly called towards the end of the auction, and there didn't seem to be a huge amount of thought going into it. They'd, and it seems gone forever. Hey, it, 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 it went on all day. Um, Did you have to watch it all? So I, yeah. I, I just had you guys giving me the. I end had result. to hear them watching it, which was <laughs> annoying <Ooh>. enough. <laughs> but seeing at the end, uh, a couple of English players did get picked up towards the end. Uh, Harry Gurney, Liam Livingston. Oh, I've chosen my team for this year: Cole Cook and Knight Riders. Yeah. Joe Denley and Harry Gurney, both in the both in the <laughs> roster. What they're going to take them to IPL glory? That's a Brit- Joe Denley is fantastic. Yeah. Well, he went, so he was didn't get picked up in two rounds. Came back in for a yeah. third round. Got picked up for one hundred and ten thousand. Um, I saw Colcat and Knight Riders celebrating the signing of seasoned campaigner Joe Denley, which I, which was nice. Well, but he, he is that, isn't he? Yeah. But a quirk of the IPL is that each team has eight overseas players, but only four can actually play. So you have to uh, have four overseas players on your bench. Um, and I guess you've got to have people who are comfortable with playing on their bench, and otherwise they could get cricket elsewhere. Um, I actually so Liam Livingston was another one who got picked up. Mm. I worry that. He's just going to sit on the bench the entire time. And it's an amazing experience it will be for him. Um, I thought maybe he'd like to. I, I know it's an amazing opportunity, but he might be. It might be better off for him to be playing in England county cricket and for, perhaps forcing his way into the England squad for the Ashes. I know he's a outside shot. But... Sam Sam Benning certainly has said to me in the past the experience of being at the IPL and training with those guys and being in the dressing room with those guys is invaluable in itself. Jason Roy last year seemed to have a different point of view mm-hmm. and was fed up of sitting on the bench I guess it all depends on the stage of your career you're yeah. out and Roy had probably outgrown the bench status yeah. Yeah. whereas Liam Livingston I think that's probably a, a, I mean it's next exciting. stage of his development exactly. isn't it yeah. you know you can see it as the next stage of his development I imagine he wouldn't want to do wouldn't want to be a, a bench sitter two years running Yeah, but you know if he's and he might not be on a bench you know they might use him as an impact player he's a he's very handy mm. I mean bowls a bit of spin as well yeah. Yeah. Spin, yeah. that is that's a really crucial element to all this I mean, did you get a sense, though, this year of the difference in value between bowlers and batters? And the reason I ask is that I've fast come to the conclusion, and it's not a very radical one, that bowlers are considerably more valuable to you 
in T20s and batsmen for the simple reason that you get four overs out of them. They bowl every game. Uh, a batter, you know, you, you you buy Chris Gale for an enormous amount of money. Yeah, he'll win you a game. He'll also get out for naught next game. Yeah. Whereas a bowler has the opportunity to influence every game that he plays. The most valuable players um, in the IPL auctions tend to be domestic seamers. Um, players who don't count as one of your overseas. And as you say, you can rely on like Unad Kat for the second year running went for, for loads of money. And he's not by any means an established international. No. Last year, he didn't even have a very good IPL. Um, so, yeah, I think you're right. I think If you look at the supply as well, how many people are there in world cricket who can smash a kind of 40 ball 80? Yeah. Unbelievable amount these days. How many people can win you a T20 game with a ball and under high pressure? Mm. There's still only yeah. really a handful of those. I mean, Rashid Khan to me is the most should be the most valuable T20 player yeah. in the world. You know, he, he could quite easily. You could imagine him earning five million a year just playing in the different leagues. And every team he goes to always does yeah. well yeah. as well. I think every yeah. he played for five teams last year and they all got to the final, at least the final yeah. of the yeah. competition, which is Go something itself. Yeah. Um, very quickly, we should mention Harry Gurney. Um, yes. In, in, in Pat Brown not being picked, a lot of people gone, oh, Gurney, you know, how's Gurney gone quick ahead of Pat Brown? Uh, Gurney actually had a brilliant blast last year. He took 20 wickets, went at just over seven and a half runs and over. He's 32, four years since he last played for England, but good, good for him. Really good for him. Uh, he's a quality season campaigner, isn't he? But he's also a very, very funny man on Twitter. I he's good, isn't he? He's I good. urge you to follow Harry Gurney. He's... He's it's not that he's not the rarest of beasts. There's plenty of cricketers that are funny and intelligent, and interesting. But he's just got a wonderful way with words. He's uh, yeah, he's, he's terrific. Or well, maybe a Harry Gurney IPL diary that might be nice for the magazine. Get we'll, we'll, on it. We'll, we'll, get on idea. it. What an idea. Do I do I get any shares in that? <laughs> no. Essentially, my idea. <laughs> uh, on cricketers on Twitter, Manoj Tiwari was very upset oh. at being left out. Um, shall I read out the tweet? Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. Give me, give me a digestive version because this is essentially a stream of self pity, and I can sort of understand it actually because he's a highly effective domestic player. Mm. So it must be quite amazing to him that none of these franchises were in to pick him up. But it's the tone of his voice is fantastically whiny, and there's also a lovely allusion to something going on out there. He knows how to play the social media game, he doesn't really he? Does yeah. I've got something big to say, but. Well, he initially had a tweet that said, uh, wondering went wrong on my part, having uh, done so well last year. I mean, he averaged 32 in the IPL, um, so he's obviously a good player. Um, but then he, he did that classic thing that lots of people do on social media now, where they take a screenshot of their notes to post something longer. And he said he ended it by saying, the experiences which I have gone through, I don't think anyone has gone through. And I will open up about it later in my future for sure. Or maybe earlier. Um, what a tease. Yeah. <laughs> well, I really want what to know what tease. it is. <laughs> yeah, I, but He's I, gone through experiences that n- no one else has gone through. Yeah. That's an, that's an yeah. extraordinary... Well, well it, you know... It, I it, guess we'll find out soon. It, it could be that... I mean, and I've had this, that he's had a kitchen installed and, you know, the taps have been put on the wrong way, cold and hot, for example. Sure, yeah. It could be something like that. It could be that the grouting hasn't worked. It could be, you know, if he's been waiting for delivery from Amazon and he's been in all day, and as a result, he had to be training, and and it still didn't arrive. You know, who knows how terrible these experiences are? But they've got to come out, Manoj. If we don't find out, (laughs) and they've got to be good, and they, (laughs) yeah, of course, if they are really, really quite harsh and tragic, then I'm going to feel terrible about everything that I've just. But basically, we're really looking forward to the Manoj Tawari autobiography um, coming to a good bookstore near you. Happy to ghost it, Manoj. Um, let's move on to the teams of the year. So, in the new edition of Wizard Cricket Monthly, um, we, out today, out today. If you're listening on Thursday, um, we have teams of the year for the Test Eleven, uh, a women's cross format eleven, ODIs, and T20. Uh, we're going to talk just about the Test Eleven today. Um, and Joe, do you want to explain how the Elevens were compiled? Certainly. So the Test. Men's test team, um, I chose a panel of, I think, 23, possibly 24 people who, uh, a mixture of Wisdom staff members, um, people who write for us regularly, like Dan, uh, people on our editorial board, a few broadcasters in there, and simply asked them to send me 11 names, their test team of the year. Uh, Crucially, when picking their team, those players could be currently banned. Um, Who could I possibly be talking about? We'll get onto that. Um, Or retired, in the case of de Villiers. Um, So basically, all they had to do was have played one test match over the course of the last year, which was from November the 
Can you tell me there? November 15th, possibly? Yeah, November, November 15th. 15th. Of last year, up to November 20th this year, and send me 11 names. And then I uh, compiled the compiled them all together and worked out the best 11, which you can read in the latest issue of Wisdom Cricket Monthly. Um, but obviously, not everyone's going to agree with everyone uh, in the team. So the two openers were <clears throat> Aidan Markram and Dimuth Karunaratne, whose first name's actually Frank, if you didn't know. Um, but Dan, you thought that Prithvi Shaw, despite only having played two test matches, yes. should have been in the team. Uh, can, can I also add here that of all our selectors, uh, selectors panel, uh, Dan Norcross was by far the most diligent. He was the only person to send rough drafts to his team <laughs> before we got to the final product. Um, so thanks very much for that, Dan. And Ed Smith, if you're ever looking for someone who's yeah. diligent and knowledgeable, then Well, that's very kind of you. I, I, mean, I found it an extremely difficult task. And I put Shaw in for this reason, that it has been a devilishly difficult year for openers. I mean, apart from Karina Ratner, who was an absolute shoe in, everybody agrees, I think, pretty much on that. They then came down to a whole host of people who hadn't actually done that well this year. Um, Aidan Markram averaged under 40 this calendar year, mm. so 41 for the for the period that we were looking at. Um, and I know he was a big noise and everyone was very excited by him. But to me, this was about, the test team of the year is about what's happened this year that's going to, that, that's going to shape the time to come and I think we saw the emergence in Prithvi Shaw of the next Saywag but better the sort of 2020s Saywag the new revised version of dominant magnificent opening bat mm. I know he's very young I know he only played two games but at home to the, the West excitement. Indies no disrespect oh, to them yes, but I it know. was a hard year to open yeah. batting but it was very hard not at home no no yet. no I mean look it's very difficult for me to justify it except that I believe that in three years' time, we'll be saying, how come Prithvi Shaw wasn't in the Test Team of the Year for the last three years and will be for the next 15 years? Because he's absolutely brilliant. And I may be proved wrong, his whole career could collapse, but this year saw the dawn of a genius, and I wanted to reflect that. I must admit, when I first saw him battle, I was surprised, because he'd been hyped up hugely, and um, there was talk about him playing, uh, opening the batting at the end of the India in England series. Um, but I thought he'd be a, a much more classical batsman. But then I watched him back against West Indies. He, he's like he's like Saywick. He, he, he really throws his hands at, yep. at the ball. Uh, not not a huge amount of foot movement, but he's very exciting. Um, not in this year's team, but we presume in in future years he probably will be. I think he's probably a banker for the next for the next ten. Uh, from what I've, I've seen of him, and he might have to tone down that style slightly um, as he plays more Test cricket in difficult more difficult. But he will, conditions. won't he? He will. I mean, that's that's just about maturity. Yeah. Moving on. Um, number four in that team, Steve Smith. Fair to say he, he split the panel. Uh, yeah. I mean, in fairness to him, he did average 75 and score 300s in the eight tests he played. Pish, in tosh. That. I care not. <laughs> I care not. This, this year was the year when Australian cricket disgraced itself and disgraced the world of lying. It, it, they, they lied. Uh, this was my issue with them. They lied so badly. Mm. And speaking as a hypocrite and occasional liar, like everybody else in this world, it was just heartbreaking to see such incompetence in a press conference. And I felt that we needed to punish them. And as a result, I made it a rule that there would be no Australians in my team. And for us actually to pick the man who was the captain of the side that was caught lying, who has been banned for 12 months, seems to me to go very much against the spirit of the ACB's ruling. And who are we to argue <laughs> with the... Well, they're not called that anymore, are they? The, the Cricket Australia... Who are we to do that? I totally get that he had an incredible Ashes series. His form started to dip once he got into South Africa. He looked at different players. He got a bit more tired. And also, on Australian pitches, I was out in Australia last year for all of the Ashes. And I had never really experienced firsthand just how um, difficult those pitches are to bowl on unless you've got express pace or mystery spin. Yeah. And he was up against an England attack that lacked all of that. Uh, Jimmy Anderson, notwithstanding, he bowled superbly, took wickets an average of 27, went at two runs and over. More of him later, no doubt. England didn't really have an attack for the circumstances. And so, you know, a lot of those runs were pretty easy to get. You talk about Prithvi Shaw getting a lot of runs against the West Indies in India. I would argue that England's attack was not balanced for, for the uh, demands. Moeen Ali was in terrible form, largely because of a cut to his finger so I think he had it pretty easy and then 47% of our quizzling traitor panel voted for him I couldn't believe it I, I thought 
I tell you, my my side was uh, Williamson at three and Coley at four. And well, Williamson way, was very close. Williamson only his first Test performance against Pakistan counted in our qualification period. So New Zealand barely played, which counted against all their players. No one featured yep. in the Test team, which which obviously didn't didn't help. Actually, I should say, David Warner wasn't far off getting in as well. So oh, you're, yeah, you could have been angered even further. Um, and so what we had, De Villiers was the other one to miss out narrowly um, to, to Smith. And I guess re- retiring from the format doesn't help Doesn't help when, when you're going to select a team. Talking about uh, things being, again, the spirit of the Cricket Australia ruling, have either of you seen this advert that Smith has starred in? Yeah. I've not seen the advert. I've heard about it. It's explained. Yeah, so it's an advert for Vodafone um, where he's Smith is talking about the, the past year and picking himself back up from, from the bottom, basically. Um, it's tricky. It should be said that the money, apparently, that he's getting for it is going straight to mental health charities, which is an important aspect of it. That said, the messaging is a bit confusing to me. Is he is he comparing his situation after cheating and being caught to that of someone with mental health issues? Mm. There seems to be a slightly kind of blurred line there. Um, also, the timing of it, I think he's got bad advice here. I think if this had come out in, in March as he was just about to start yeah. playing again or, or was ready to play again, I think it would have got a different reception. But it, it's just it's too early, I think. And that seems to be the general feeling from from our followers on Twitter and, and what I've read that it's just it's just too soon and I think he's got bad advice here and that's that's a bit unfortunate. And Vodafone as well, like they're making money from this. They're commercialising Smith's mistake. Um and yeah, as you say, the money that Smith's getting is going to mental health charities, but Vodafone are still using it as one of their own adverts. Well, yeah. Adam and Jeff I think have got a lovely little piece in this month's <clears throat> edition that's an accompaniment to Smith's Adam Collins selection. and Jeff Lemon. Adam that is. Collins and Jeff Lemon indeed. <clears throat> and they talk about what Smith might have done with his year off. And actually, this advert is like another example of, of getting a fundamental opportunity to escape from cricket and reinvent yourself wrong. They refer to an Australian rules football player who uh, came out of the toxic culture of Essendon, took himself away to New York, went to work in a bar, came back a changed man. And they say, slightly romantically, and in a way that only Adam Collins and Jeff Lemon could really imagine, because they're quite peripatetic souls themselves, why didn't he go to Greek island and, uh, and learn Greek? Why didn't he go on a road trip with an unusual, um, <laughs> yeah. with an unusual person who was totally unlike him? Uh, partly because I think they'd, they'd love to have made the film, of, you know, Steve Smith and Phil Makepeace or something the Surrey scorer as they go across <laughs> or, or, or you know I don't know some jazz guitar like a Netflix original yeah. event right? <laughs> yeah it really <laughs> does doesn't it uh, but I think they make a strong point and I think it feeds actually into this issue of this commercial that I think poor old Steve Smith it hit him so hard um, being banned from cricket cricket's the only thing he knows and their conjecture Adam and Jeff is that therefore he should have gone off and discovered a new him, discover a new world, take cricket out of his life. And instead, what he's actually doing is trying to find ways back into it. Playing and cricket in Canada. Playing, playing cricket, cricket in, in the Canada. Caribbean. Is it? Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> playing grade cricket. Being on a commercial that goes out during cricket. I'm still here. I'm yeah. still here. I love cricket. In fairness, you know, yeah. and, well, that's a good else. argument. Well, in the middle of a fantastic Australia-India series, mm. which Australia are kind of yep. clawing their way back into some kind of position of respect so then this comes out again it's, yeah but I, I mean it, you've got to look at the people who are advising Smith and I think they've got to take he's got to take responsibility himself he is a grown man but it also really reliant on the team around you to a certain extent um another controversial selection in that team not because he doesn't deserve it it's because of his role in the team so Josh Butler despite you're uh, skirting over Joe Root are you who I think is very controversial because I don't think he's done a great deal this this season but yes I will allow you to skirt over that we're not going to give away the whole team, Dan. No, are oh, you not? Okay, yeah. sorry. Yeah. Well, some of it. Most <laughs> of it. Yeah. Josh Butler. Joe Green may or may not be in there. Yeah, no. we have to. Play the the Josh Butler selection, as you know, I would pick Josh Butler to play in every form of cricket and probably Kabaddi, actually, uh, on earth for the next 70 years. But when coming to put this team together, I found it extremely difficult to know what role he should play because I want him in as a batsman. He's, he's not, at a time when England have discovered the best wicketkeeper out there, Ben Folks, should be playing for them. I want to see the re-emergence of the genuine wicketkeeper batsman mm. as opposed to the batsman wicketkeeper. Mm. But because of the way we have to balance our side, given that, and we'll come to it in a moment, 
there have been some very high-profile fast bowlers who've done very well this season, but none of them can bat. Unfortunately, in order to fit in our spinner, we've got to pick Joss Butler with the gloves. What it speaks to, though, and I think, 60, is it 65% of our respondents? Yep. Yeah. Is, is that Joss Butler's year has been stellar. So he has to play somehow. And uh, making him keeper is really just a function of how we fit in number 7 to 11. 65% of us cheated, I think. Yeah. That's really, absolutely, really that's absolutely <laughs> correct. Because he has to play. Because let's look back at this year he's had. And people talk about the 100. That the 100 actually was in a losing cause with no pressure on. I mean, there's the pressure of getting 100, and it was a brilliant 100. But I want to think back to all those match-winning 60s that he's got mm. in the 80s. In really difficult conditions. Really difficult and conditions, And people thought yeah. he couldn't adapt to play the longer form, or if he did play longer form, he'd just be almost like a... Fools and naysayers yeah, did, yes. Exactly. Fools <laughs> and naysayers. He has got one of the most solid defensive techniques there is. Um, his failures this season have almost exclusively been when he hasn't been required. His failure at the Oval was when England were 400 odd ahead and he got out first or second ball and he caught a backward point slogging. Uh, when the situation demands it, he has, been, he has played the perfect innings. He and Sam Curran actually have shown the greatest in-game batting intelligence for England this summer. Yeah. And I'd argue, you know, if this is what we can see him doing, there will come a day when Joss Butler will bat for a full day of Test cricket. And that day, my friends, will be the most beautiful day yeah, of anybody's he, life. He, he's a freak. Like in the Schranker series, there's one test where he just swept everything. Um, yes. And then the next test match, in between, he was watching some highlights where Michael Clark came down to the uh, spinners, effectively. And he was like, yeah, I'll do that. And the next test match, he came down to everything. The ability yeah. to do one extreme to the other um, without really much practice is extraordinary. Just to add in there as well, as, as part of this feature, we got um, we spoke got spoke to Jack Leach, who has got a really nice piece from him on on his mate Butler, who he played age group cricket with, and this is his first experience of sharing an England changing room with him. Um, and it is it's really it is a lovely piece. So he he writes, he's always inspired me. Leach says of Butler, whatever he's doing, I've always wanted a piece of it, and that's not stopped now just because we're playing Test cricket. And this is the kind of, this is the theme of the piece. He's basically really, really happy to be playing with his mate again. <laughs> that, that's, yeah. the, that's the bottom line for me. Well, I remember and when he was seeing... caught, caught Butler yeah. Bold Leach. I mean, that was just one of the most beautiful moments of the year, wasn't it? And also really seeing his mate in this environment. So he said, I knew how good Butler was, but I haven't seen him in that changing room leading as he is. And he says he could comfortably be a future Test captain for England. Equally, he, he's not that fussed. If it doesn't come along, he's not going to take it as a huge slight. In the same way, they didn't take it as a huge slight that he lost the gloves to to Bairstow. He's a dream. He's a dream for a captain and for selectors for this very reason that, uh, and I'm not, not having a go at Root or Bairstow here, but they're very clear about what roles they want to play and where they want to bat in the side. And because they're so clear, it does cause a little bit of a headache. Whereas, you know, for, for selectors and for captain, yeah. Butler and Moeen Ali are two guys that you know will do what you need them to do whatever experiments yeah whatever experiments you're going to play with where they're going to bat because it feels like it's going to work for some other purpose they will just do it and look people have very different temperaments and you do not have a team of 11 people that are all the same but when you find people who are like Butler and Moeen to a slightly different extent you want to hold on to them because they can help glue the side together brilliant um, we'll focus on one more player from the team, and that's Jason Holder. Um, you might be a little bit surprised to hear he's in the team, but if you look at his stats this year, uh, there's no real him. argument. Um, he took 34 wickets at an average of 15, um, which is, you can't leave somebody out if they've got stats like that. Um, Joe, he, he features quite prevalently in the magazine as well, doesn't he? Yeah, Phil Walker, our editor-in-chief, um, went and had a... Had a drink with him. He was in England uh, having treatment in Harley Street for a couple of niggles. He will be fit for the for the England West Indies series. And uh, it's a really kind of candid interview about the, what what we describe as the toughest job in cricket, being captain of West Indies, and also coming into it with precious little experience. And we, we've we've talked a bit about this interview in the last podcast, but I thought there's a line from it which I only read as we were sending this to to print. It which kind of think sums up the challenge of being the West Indies captain. It says, I want to get to a situation where I'm not looking over my shoulder to make sure people are doing what they're supposed to be doing, fielding where they should be, as opposed to me always having to do it. I've got enough to worry about. Can you imagine? I mean, that is as what... a test captain. That's what I used to have to do for the older lady in second 11 every Saturday. 
And I sort of expected to because sometimes I had sort of sixteen year old kids in the team, sometimes I had, you know, the elderly and the infirm um forgetting that his left hand a left hand he said, left hand <laughs> Uh, but it sounds like he's having to do that for his team, you know. Shannon, Shannon, <laughs> you know, why did he do that? Um, you know, you can just sort of, you, you can imagine, can't you? And it is farcical at times, but and also I would like to, like to add that he he doesn't come come across as a moaner in this interview at all. That's one particular aspect yeah. of it. But he's actually very positive about West Indies cricket and making their own name. Uh, and the amount of talent that is in the Caribbean now. There's a, the, the idea that there's no talented young cricketers coming through. In the Caribbean, because they do have a sports now, and, and I mean, he, he not, says that's not, not. He says that's not the case. Yeah. yeah, I mean, look at Shimron Hetmeyer is, is so exciting, such yeah. an exciting batsman. We're going to see a lot more of him this year. Another one to go big in the IPL auction. Well, I'm, and I'm not at all surprised. I yeah. think he could be very intriguing in the uh, in the World Cup. Uh, but Shannon Gabriel, I mean, he's a guy that didn't make it into this team. Really unlucky not to, yeah. because he's taking wickets a similar average to Holder. He sneaked in, <clears> you might say, ahead of Anderson or Rabada. Uh, one or the other, I think I I eventually uh, on the third iteration dumped Rabada because I had to get Gabriel in the side because you, you've got to give some kudos to these guys. He's very the strong year bowler. for quicks, wasn't it? It, it, was a tough, it was a tough and year to get in. As what a do you think bowler? it'll mean for England's Test series in the West Indies? Because you know if Holder and Shannon Gabriel are taking wickets, we might see that the pitches just start to liven up. If it's possible to do that, yeah, we might start seeing a little bit more. You know, West Indian cricket has been quite slow-paced for quite a while now yeah. because of the lack of quick bowling. I think they they might signal a resurgence. Um, West Indian cricket generally has got a lot more aggressive, a lot more exciting. I think the Caribbean Premier League has helped yeah. to, to make that happen. Um, I want to do a couple of other quick shout-outs to guys that were missed in this team. Go for it. Uh, two, in particular, two batsmen that go right under the radar, radar a nominal hack of Bangladesh. who's had a fantastic season. And when you play in a side that is consistently struggling, it's hard, very hard as a batsman. They didn't have a good year as well, Bangladesh. They no, didn't have a great year. No, no. Until no, they no, went no. over West Indies, they had an average year. They really did. And he stood out. He took, did he get 400s, I think? In I the, think the fourth the one might have been just, just outside just the qualification period. But yeah, but yeah. even so. So, you know, shout out to him because I think, you know, let, let's hope he continues to develop. Bangladesh needs some solid batting in that middle order. And also, Barbara Azam. You know, Pakistan get consistently underestimated in Test cricket. They have been now for years punching above their weight, playing away from home in not ideal conditions. I mean, you wouldn't say the UAE pitches ideally suit their bowlers. Uh, and they're in the midst of this, the batsman Barbara Azam, who gets virtually no no plaudits at all, really. In, in fairness, I think he has got plaudits in the, in, in the white ball formats. And it was only yeah. this year that he really showed everyone how good he was. In Test, he only got his first hundred a couple of months ago. Um, the the talent's always been there. We actually had a debate about Babarazam in the first podcast we did. Got nasty on um, Twitter, no, didn't we? Yeah. Really? <laughs> um, Phil Phil rubbed it into Ben Gardner's face when Babarazam got his first Test hundred. Um, he, he's a beautiful player to watch. There's no doubt, and like he's one of those players who you just know he's just classy. He's a lot like actually uh, Kusal Mendis, who's not in the team. Um, yes. And Kusal Mendis is just a dream to watch. And actually, uh, we didn't get onto it, but my moment of the week was actually. His him really knuckling down and scoring a hard hundred. Like he's he, everyone knows how how talented he is, but if he can uh, add the mental application as well, he's going to be a scarily good prospect for many many years. That was a great that was a great result, Sri Lanka actually. And I know they were assisted by rain, but mm. the way those two were batting, I'm, I'm not sure that uh, New Zealand would have been able. They would have around. probably so, batted all day five you know, as well. And Sri Lanka, <laughs> Sri Lanka got terribly badly treated after they lost to England three 0 as if they were the worst team on the planet, mm. the worst Sri Lankan team there's ever been. It's something that always happens when people lose to England. Yeah. <laughs> the assumption is that they must be terrible. They were also <laughs> they were also close Test matches as well. So they were um, very close, yeah. which has been a feature of the year, hasn't it? It's yeah. one thing that we haven't mentioned is just the number of Test matches that have been decided by double figure scores. We've yeah. had. We've had the first ever test match to be won by four runs. Yeah, that that's absolute true. thriller between Pakistan and uh, New Zealand. England winning games by 30, 40 runs against both India and Sri Lanka. And it was only you know a few years back, less actually, that test matches, especially in England, had been so one-sided. You know, every game that England played against Australia that was a result was always a massive result for one side or the mm, other. Yeah. Three-two Ashes a year was a case in point. Um, even the year when they had that. Brilliant series against Pakistan. It's two all, but actually most of the games were, were one sided. Other than the Lord's yeah. Test, exactly. 
So it's it's really great to see that in Test cricket this year, teams have worked out ways of fighting back. I love that. I think it's uh, I think it bodes incredibly well. Fantastic. Uh, and to finish, what are we all looking forward to in the next week? Start with you, Joe. Um, mine's got to be the Boxing Day Test. Uh, I said at the start of the series that if India went one nil up, they'd mm. they'd run away with it four 0 So I've been proved emphatically wrong with that already. So it's great that Australia have got come back into it. I say that through gritted teeth, but <laughs> actually in this instance, I do mean it. Uh, what's eleven thirty start? I think on on Boxing Day. Um, so yeah, ideal. Hard to look beyond that, but I, I urge you to because if you can set your alarms, if because especially if you've got in laws over. Uh, Go to bed at four thirty in the afternoon on Christmas Day. You know, put, go to bed. Yeah, so go not to bed. even fall asleep on the sofa. No, 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 no. Fully go to bed. <laughs> take take half a bottle of port or Madeira or whatever it is, uh, with your belly filled with Christmas fare, and allow sleep to take over in the darkness and wake up at half eleven. Watch that day and then flip straight over to hopefully Muhammad Abbas in Sri Lanka in South African yeah. conditions. He's on Boxing take Day, so many wickets. <laughs> he, he, yes, he, he could be averaging fourteen and a half by the end of that series, uh, and I think that that could be a really fun series. Yeah, you can see yeah. some brilliant fast bowling from both sides. Uh, it's going to be all about how Pakistan's batsmen can hold up against the likes of uh, Rabada at Al. Uh, so I'm, I'm really looking forward to that. And on a kind of entirely meteorological note or astronomical note, let's look forward in forty-eight hours' time to the Northern Hemisphere finally turning itself back towards the sun. This is the longest night that we have to endure tonight and tomorrow night. And thereafter, we gain six seconds, then 12 seconds, then 18 seconds. And then we can start to believe in spring with crocuses and daffodils and hope. And, and you can regain your fixtures. health as well. I can regain and get rid of the cold I've had for the last five <laughs> weeks. And we can look forward and we can also remember that the nights are drawing in in Australia and that always makes me feel happy well we've got an amazing year to look forward to uh, this is our last podcast of 2018 we're going to be taking a one week Christmas break so uh, thanks for listening as always thanks Joe thanks Dan um, and have a wonderful Christmas and a happy new year we'll see you in 2019 Sports Social Podcast Network